to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Good morning. Everybody in a good mood? You staying safe? We used to sing a song in our church years ago. I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. And that's kind of what we're doing today, right? And there was one time, the guys were laughing the other day. Said, Do you remember those times? In fact, I did it four or five times. I'd come out to preach and the people were really down. And I'd tell them to all get up and leave the church and come back in singing that song. I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. How we grew to be this big, I'll never know. That's crazy things, isn't it? Well... We welcome Las Vegas, they, they're coming in today, the Las Vegas campus, and all those of you that are watching online, I'm getting your texts, I'm getting your emails, you're back in Kentucky, and you're in New York, and you're in Boston, and Texas, we love all you guys, and uh, glad you joined us today. So let's pray before we start, Father God, bless this sermon, give me the ability, Lord, to just put it out there, and once it gets out there, you bless it. You make it more than what it would be otherwise. Our eyes are on you. Please give me the ability to be your vessel today in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. I want to pick up where I left off at last week. Now it's a little bit longer than I wanted to be last week. Let's see if we can shorten it a few minutes. At least I'll try. Let's begin by reading two passages of Scripture that we're not really going to get to today. I thought we would, but I kind of bait you for next week. It, it kind of goes with the theme. Look at Matthew 24, 36 through 44. Speaking of the rapture and second coming of Christ, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son. Only the Father knows. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving a marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until oh they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away so will be the coming of the son of man be then there will be two men in the field one will be taken one will be left two women will be grinding at the meal one will be taken one will be left therefore be on the alert for you don't know which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. How many got up this morning going, this is the day, I know the Lord's coming back today? Probably none of you. So that means it qualifies. This could be the day. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We do not want you to be uninformed. There's a lot of uninformed Christians. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Their bodies are napping. They're with the Lord. 
so that you will not grieve. Oh, we're going to talk about this next week. As those who have no hope. See, it says here that there are some that have no hope. I'm going to tell you next week, if we believe these verses, it should make us want to share the gospel. For if we believe, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and ta-da-ta-da, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Next week, we might look at the feasts, the, 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 the seven main feasts of Israel and how they correspond with the coming of the Lord. We're living in the Feast of Trumpets right now. Da-da-da-da! We're waiting for the trumpet to blow, and the trumpet signifies break up camp, get ready to go. We are there, gang, and I have so much to say. But notice in those verses that it says that the spirits and the souls of our loved ones who died in Christ will come with him. So they're with him right now. They're not in the grave. Their body's in the grave. Their body's napping, but they're with the Lord. I have more to say next week. Now, I had people write me this week very much afraid, saying, man, I think I'm going to miss the rapture. After what you said last week, and I don't remember if I said it in one service or two. I didn't say it in three. I said that the rapture is going to be smaller than we think. And that upset some people, and they wrote me, Pastor Ron, I smoke cigarettes. I just know I'm going to miss the rapture. I'm going to miss the rapture. I know I can't resist, but the Bible doesn't say you'll go to hell for smoking cigarettes. But when you get in heaven, you'll smell like hell. I had to say it. I'm sorry. I had to say it. <laughs> but people wrote me, and they were afraid, going, I didn't understand. I won't go to heaven. I won't go to heaven. So I thought I need to clarify, so stay with me right here. My comments I made last week centered around Revelation 4 and other scriptures. I believe that we see the raptured church in Revelation chapter 4. We see a group of people, symbolic of 24 elders, and I, I don't have time to get into that with you, but I believe that's the raptured church. This group of people in Matthew 4, they have the white robes of redemption on, which I think only the redeemed have on. They have the white robes, and they have crowns on their head. Now, there's two Greek words for crowns. There's diadem and there's stephanos. Here it's stephanos. Let's see the Greek definition. It's a wreath. See, it's not really a crown as we know crown. It's a wreath. It's a garland. It's what they put on the head of Jesus, made of thorns. It's a wreath. It's a garland awarded to a victor in ancient Greek athletic games. Now, it symbolizes something that's been earned. It's a prize given to those who competed on earth and won it. Now, I'm telling you, and I've told you before, our God is so good, he wants to give everybody a reward. For example, just you coming today, God sees it, and he'll probably give you a reward for it. Because it's important that your bodies there. It encourages me and encourages others around you. When you tithe and drop money in the offering plate, he sees that. He'll give you a reward for faithful giving. He'll give you a reward for those texts 
that you sent out to people to encourage them. Every time you invite somebody to church, God marks it down. He sees it, and he'll try to reward you for that. And I could go on and on. Now, what's interesting is we're told in the Bible that there are five different crowns that believers can obtain through faithful service. Five crowns. They're listed in the New Testament. And the word for crowns there is stephanos, the same word we have here. Identical, something earned. Now, look at Philippians 3, 14. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I want the prize. And that word prize here in the Greek means an award given to someone for something they did. He says, I want that prize, and I want it in the upward calling. And I believe that describes the rapture of the church. Other word for crown is diadem. That's not the word used here. Diadem is reserved for royalty, but it's not used here. Now, this is really important, really important, because it plainly teaches in the Bible that believers who are, who are faithful on earth will receive rewards in heaven. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible in the New Testament. So in Revelation 4, we see what I believe are the faithful servants of God with white robes of redemption on, and they got crowns in their head because they've done something faithfully. And the reason they're raptured is they got to get ready to come back with God during the millennial reign and serve with him. But, say with me, but. Say it louder, but. I love buts in the Bible. I love them. Biblical buts. I love them. But, three chapters later, we see a large, much larger crowd, probably 100 times bigger, in heaven. And they're from every nation, every tribe. And they're a multitude that you can't even count. They're so big, so big. Now, this group, how they get there and when, I don't know. But this group that comes after the raptured group, they have the white robes of redemption on, but you'll notice there are no crowns. No crowns. Who is this group? Well, look at Revelation 7, 14. I said to him, after he said to me, who are these people? I say, Lord, you know, I don't know. He said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So their robes were dirty. They had to wash them. Do you see that? Now listen to me closely. The Bible explicitly says that the Lord's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. These people's robes are clean. They had to go through the tribulation, or they're dirty, excuse me. They had to go through the tribulation to get them clean. But they have no crowns. Now, back to the statement that confused a lot of people last week. Will I miss the rapture? Now, today in America, we have been very careless in teaching what a Christian is and what's expected from Christians. We in the traditional church have a habit of giving away fire insurance every Sunday. Come back to the altar. Confess the Lord, get baptized, go do your own thing. You've got fire insurance. Today, I see a lot of people that are confused about what a Christian is. Here's a simple definition. We can elaborate on it later, but Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess, that word means continually confess, over and over again, with your mouth, that means it's in your heart, so it's coming out of your mouth, 
Jesus is Lord. Now, that word Lord means master and owner. If you're always saying, he's my master, he's my owner, and you believe wholeheartedly in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that means he's still alive today, he's living in you. If you really believe that, you shall be saved. We can't change the word. I heard someone say they went to the doctor, they had a bad heart disease. The doctor says, we need to do surgery on you. But I don't want the surgery. Can, can you just go out and... and uh, Doctor up the x-rays a little bit? You wouldn't want that, would you? We can't change it. Now, in Matthew 7, 19 through 23, it says this. Every tree, now, now this is the word of God. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. So then, you'll know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven? He who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. There's the ones that will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do this in your name and do that in your name? But he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now here's the key. You who practice lawlessness. You who practice sin, you who practice doing what you're not supposed to do, today, you wouldn't believe the number of Christians I see and talk to that go out, hit the bars every weekend, get drunk as a skunk, they sleep with multiple people, they watch pornography, and they think they're going to heaven because they went to the altar one day. They went, it's not biblical. See, when we send you back the altar call, we send you back there and pray over you to receive the Holy Spirit so you have the power to start following Jesus and be obedient to his word. Churches are not preaching this today because they want to have big crowds, make everybody, you know, happy. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to tell you the truth. If the numbers go up, great, praise God. If they don't go up, then whatever. I've got to stand for God someday. So... A Christian is someone who has received the Holy Spirit and made a decision to walk according to the Holy Word. Let me ask you a question that Paul asked the church of Ephesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? How many of you know the Holy Spirit lives in your, inside your body? You know that. He's inside of you. You feel him. You hear him. Now, now stay with me. I've said it before and I'll repeat it. Jesus is either number one in your life or he's nothing at all. You can have number two. You can have number three. But they obey the word of God. For example, I'm going to get a divorce. But you go back, wait a minute, i got to look in the word of God. Well, you know what? The word of God says I can't divorce for these reasons. i, I got to obey. I want to marry a non-believer. Let me look. Page 492. I can't be an equally yoked with non-believers. Sorry, I can't marry you. Uh, I don't want to forgive someone. Do I have to? Page 732, it says, if I don't forgive others, he won't forgive me. I've got to. Uh, I don't do porn because I look. Page 233, I'm not supposed to bring anything like that before my eyes. I want to go get drunk this weekend. No, wait. Page 922, it says drunkards won't inherit the kingdom of heaven, so I'm not going to get drunk. Are you getting what I'm saying? Are you getting it? Do I need to go to church? Well, it says on page 83, that believers go to church, so i got to go to church. Give. 
It says right here in Luke that I'm supposed to give, and it says over here I'm supposed to give. So yeah, when the offering plate comes, I need to give something. I need to keep the church open because the church is important to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, we watch where this money goes. I don't know of any church that watches more than we do. I'm going to walk out of the movie because it's, it, it, it's, des- it's, it's degrading God Almighty. I'm going to walk out. Why? Because it says on page 32 that I'm supposed to be holy. I don't know how many shows I've had to turn off on TV the last month or two because of the cussing. It just it unnerved me. I don't like that language. Now, now stay with me. This is going to be good. Uh, just because you answered an altar call one time does not make you a Christian. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5 in the Amplified Bible. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you're holding to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Test yourself. Test yourself and prove yourself. Do you not know yourselves? Do you not, let me rephrase. Slow down, Ron. You're okay, buddy. You're okay. Do you not yourselves realize and know thoroughly by an ever-increasing experience that Jesus Christ is inside of you? Unless you're counterfeits, disproved on trial and rejected. Now, let me say what I always say. You are not saved by works. You're only saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. Don't even try it. Don't ever try to earn it because you can't. But, 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 because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is active and not stagnant, works will automatically follow. Get this phrase down. You're not saved by works, but works are evident because you're saved. Don't get the card for the horse. Because I'm saved, because the Holy Spirit lives within me, I'm going to be convicted. And very often, the convictions you feel is the way God speaks to you. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, I'm going to want to go to church. I'm going to want to hear worship music. When I hear it, I'm going to really, you know, wow. I'm going to have a desire to confess my sins. Now, the Winter Olympics are coming up. Does it blow you away like it blows me away? When you see those skiers go up and they go up in the air and they do all these flips and go around and contort their body and land on their feet. Wow. How do they do that? Lots of practice. You see extreme sports. They do it with motorcycles. And you go, how does a human being do that? I would think that was impossible to do. But practice, 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 practice. Think if we as Christians put that much practice into hearing the Holy Spirit and walking with him as those athletes do into that. No telling how freaky we would be in the spiritual realm. No telling. For God has never seen what the world can do with a person who's totally dedicated to him. By God's grace, let us be them. Now, like for example, this happened to me three days ago. This happened to me three times in my life that I can remember Three days ago, there's a guy in our church named Terry. And Terry has a son named Terry Jr. And I, I'm walking around the house. I'll kind of d- illustrate it for you. And I'm thinking, man, you've got to call Terry today and see how Terry Jr. is doing. You haven't called him for a few, few days. You need to call him. And I go to pick up my phone. I go, no, I've got to make my protein drink here. Okay. Okay, I've got to call Terry. Let me grab my phone. Oh, wh- what time's the game on Sunday? Okay. And, and I did that all day. It, it became evening time. And I go, doggone, I didn't call him. 
God, I'll call him first thing in the morning. Well, at 3.30, he called me. He said, Terry Jr. is being rushed to the emergency. He has cancer. He's already got all of these bad health problems, and he's got COVID. He's gained 40 pounds. He's just liquids in his lungs and everything. And so I knew, that's what we prayed. That's what this was about. It was God. And I started praying, and he got a call, or he called me this morning and said, man, it's a miracle, a miracle. That's all to God. Why? And also, see, the last time this happened was several years ago. I'm driving down the road. We have a, a couple in our ch church named John and Janice, and they had a daughter who was going back into the world, and they were very worried about her. And a little car passes me and pulls in front of me, and I thought, that looks like John and Janice's daughter. I thought of her, and I started praying for her. As I was praying for her, God said, call them today and tell them she's going to be okay. And I did the same thing. I got busy, didn't do it, but I knew he told me to do it. Well, same thing. Middle of the night, I got a call. She had had an accident. They'd taken her to the hospital, and they said she was going to die. But I was able to tell them, no, 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 no. God told me to call you today to tell you she will be all right. But the doctor, I don't care what the doctor said. God told me today she'll be okay, and I didn't know what it meant, but now I know what it means. And I'm just using those examples. You know me. I can throw God's stories at you every week. That's the way I live. But I want to go so much deeper. So we look today, we're going to look at Daniel. Only Daniel and Joseph in the Old Testament, those are the only two guys that it was said of them by other people. Don't you want this said about you? Other people, non-believers, said about these two guys, there's a spirit of the divine gods that lives in them. Don't you want that said about you? Wow. Now, we're in the last days, and I was going to look at two prophetic Old Testament stories for you, but I'm going to look at only one today. I went over this before, but I've never taught on it thoroughly. So let's get through it real quickly. Uh, in Daniel chapter 9 that we're going to look at today, Israel is being disciplined for their sins. God still does that today. Read Hebrews chapter 12. It says that if you're legitimate children of God, from time to time, he's going to discipline you when you get off track. Is anybody being spanked by God today? That just means he loves you. Sometimes my rear end is so swollen, man. I get spanked a lot. I'm your pastor, but I'm stubborn as a mule. God has to spank me a lot. Now, when the children of Israel went into the promised land, God gave them some specific rules and instructions that they were supposed to keep. For example, he gave them the Sabbath rest. He said, I want you to rest your bodies every seventh day. Hello, hello. I didn't say this in the first service. Somebody better start taking a Sabbath day rest. You're going too hard. Take that right now. Take that word. But you're, you're supposed to give your body your rest every seven days and give the land rest every seven years. You're to rest the soil. You're going to over-farm it. That's a word for some farmers today. You're depleting the soil. You're over-farming it. Now, he said you're going to have to do that when you go into the land. Did they do it? No. They disobeyed God. For 490 years, they did not let, let the land rest. 490 years. That's 70 Sabbaths they ignored. Say with me, 70. 
So God did what any good parent does. He said, if you're not going to be responsible with the land I gave you, I'll just take you off of it for a while. How's that? Isn't that what we do? I gave you a car, son. I gave you a car, sweetheart. If you're not going to be responsible with it, I'm taking the keys away for a while. We do that, don't we? I bought you a pet. You said you would take care of it. You know, I'm going to give the pet away to somebody else that will take good care of it. That's what we do. So that's what God does here. He says, you have not obeyed the Sabbath for 70 Sabbaths. And said, so you know what? You're going to go into captivity for 70 years. If you're not going to be responsible with the land, I'll take it away. I'll teach you a lesson. Sometimes lessons are only learned this way, not just by words. So for 70 years, they go into exile. If you won't let the land rest, then I'll do it for you. So Daniel is in Babylonian captivity. He's in the 70-year captivity. He's probably reading the book in Jeremiah. He's reading it, and all of a sudden it dawns on him. God has said we'd be in exile for 70 years. Duh! We're at year 68 right now. That means we only have a year and a half left. He gets all excited. Wow! God, you're going to let us go in another year and a half. Do you want to use me anyway? He's all excited because they're soon to be released. Now, with that in mind, let's pick up the story, Daniel 9, chapter 9, verse 3 through 5. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Now, I want you to see something here. Daniel is humbling himself. He's confessing the people's sins. Can, can I tell you something? Some of you don't know the secrets of the kingdom. You want to know there's a way. There's two ways that you can cause your God to draw closer to you than he's ever been before. And this is worth coming to church for right here. There's two ways you can get God's attention like never before. And the first way is Isaiah 58, by feeding the poor, hungry, and homeless, by helping them. That's one way. The second way is by humbling yourself. I give you verse after verse. I don't have time today. Verse after verse after verse, but it says, God is close to the humble and the brokenhearted. As your pastor, it's, it's weekly that I pour out my heart to God and say, God, I don't understand why you chose me. Why, you've had chances to get rid of me. Why didn't you get rid of me? I don't get it. Being honest before God, just laying your heart out there, God is decisively drawn to humility. Now, with that in mind, let's go on to verse 6. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. While I was still speaking in prayer, and I get this while I'm still, I want this to happen to me so badly. I've asked God, I, I realize. While I was still speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, shows up. Anybody like me, I'm begging God. I want an angel. To, I want to talk to an angel. 
whom I had seen in the vision previously. Now, this is the man, Gabriel. He looked kind of like a man. Came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and he talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, he knows Daniel's name. I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. Now, put on your thinking caps. Remember in school, they tell you to put on your thinking. Put them on. Look at verse 24. 70 weeks, 70 weeks. Now, in the Hebrew, weeks is Shavuot, and it means sevens. The word weeks is used like we use the word dozen. We say a dozen, we know 12 eights, 12 whatever. Seventy sevens have been decreed for your people in your holy city for six reasons. He says, in other words, now get this. He brought Israel home in 1948 because he says these seven things aren't completed yet. He had to make him a nation to do this. He said, seven, six things, excuse me, 70 weeks. Now, that's 70 times seven years. He says, that's how long it's going to take me to get done what I want to do with Israel. So here's the, the six things. To finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity. Those three things were done when Jesus came and died on Calvary. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. He said, it's going to take time to get those six things done, but they've got to be done. And because they're not totally done yet, he brought Israel home. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment, hopefully. So 70 weeks, 70 times 7. So 490 years it's going to take for me to finish this stuff with my nation Israel. Now let's look at verse 25. Now, here I want you to notice something. He's going to just talk about 69 of the 70. He's going to leave the 70th alone for a while. That's a seven-year period called the tribulation period. So he says, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild what? What does it say? To restore and rebuild what? Say it loud. Jerusalem. Until Messiah the Prince... There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Add those together, there's 69. Why did he break them up? I'll tell you in a second. And it'll happen. Now, stay with me. Why the gap between the seven and 62? Seven times seven is 49 years. He says, here's the deal. I want you to see the gap. It'll take you 49 years to rebuild the city. That's about what it took. He said, after that, count off another 62 weeks and Messiah the Prince will come. Now, this is phenomenal. You've got to stay with me here. Please, God, I forgot. Help the Rams beat the 49ers today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> Cooper Cup's our friend. You know that. Cooper Cup goes to our church. He's going to break the NFL record today. God, you got it. You got to help us. We've got to beat them. Back to the message. <laughs> Don't even get into it. Lord, could you cripple? No, I shouldn't go. No, no, no. Just temporarily, Lord, just temporarily. Let's get back to study. Come on. Put the two numbers together, 62 and 7. You have 69 weeks. 69 times 7 is 483 years. He said, when there's a decree given to go rebuild Jerusalem, you just count off 
483 years, and Messiah will be here. This is crazy, absolutely crazy. Now, keep in mind that this is recorded hundreds and hundreds of years before Messiah is even born. This is crazy. Now, you can count the days off, and I'll get to that in a second. This is precise, which once again proves the Bible is not just a normal book. It blows me away. Skeptics try hard to disprove this. They work hard. They work hard to disprove the date I'm going to give you in a moment. But you've got to remember, skeptics don't believe in miracles. We do. We live with miracles. God does miracles all the time. So if we're told here that when a decree goes forth, count off the years, Messiah will be there, we have to find out when that decree was given. Now here's where the skeptics say, go, you're all wrong, Christians. You have a date you think the decree was given. It's not that date. A lot of them confuse this date with the book of Ezra. Look at Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, the first year, you got that? King of Persia. In order to fill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a what? What what is he supposed to build? Say it again. Real loud. He's appointed me to build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all of his people, may God be with him. Get up and go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the what? The house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Now, they confuse this with the prophecy I read you in Daniel chapter 9. Now, this was issued somewhere between 538 and 536 B.C., and if you take those numbers, they don't work. They don't work. But, 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 read the text carefully. In this situation, they were told to go build a house, the temple. Nothing about the city. Now, that's, that's important. Now, in Daniel, it doesn't say that. In Daniel chapter 9, it says they're to rebuild the city, not a house. There's a difference between a city and a house. Let's get off here for a second. Why is Cyrus so jazzed? He looks pretty jazzed. If I can depict a jazzed guy's attitude, it's Cyrus there in Ezra 1. I like what Chuck Smith says. He said, I think somebody brought Cyrus the writings of Isaiah. They said, dude, do you know your name's in the Bible? Your names, Isaiah named you by name 150 years before you were even born. Look at this dude, you're in the book. Look at Isaiah 44, 28. And it is I who says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd, and it goes on. He'll perform all my desires. Look at 45 and 1. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, you're going to do all this stuff for me. So, Cyrus, you're in the book, so he got all jazzed. I'm going to go build a temple, a house for God, because I'm in the book, man. Another possibility is they come up with a decree from Artaxerxes to Ezra in chapter 7, which I'm not going to read. And there, also, Ezra was told to go build God a house, nothing about the city. Nothing about the city. Uh, 
people confuse this with Daniel chapter 9. But again, it's to build a city. It's to build a house, excuse me, and not a city. Now, see, these skeptics that are working hard at this, they don't want Daniel to be right. If we can't get numbers and fit this in, then Daniel's wrong. I mean, even religious guys try to disprove this. I go, what are you trying to say? They say, well, it must have been written later. This couldn't happen. You must have the dates wrong. These religious people don't get it. They're trying to prove Daniel wrong. If Daniel's wrong, then he's a false prophet. If he's a false prophet, it casts suspicion on Daniel and the whole Bible. Either he's right or he isn't, and I'm telling you he's right. Now let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Keep your thinking caps on. Before we turn there, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. You want a good job? There's a good job. I bet it pays good. No life insurance. What did the cupbearer do? Before the king drank his wine, he would have to taste of it. Before he ate his food, he'd have to taste of it. Then if he fell over dead, the king would say, I don't think I'm going to eat that or drink that. How would you like that job? Great salary, just no life insurance. So, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And in chapter 1, we're told this about Nehemiah. Nehemiah had heard from the people coming back and forth from rebuilding the temple, the house, that the city was in a mess. And that bothered Nehemiah. The city's in shambles, they said. The walls are broken down. The people are not protected. Even the new temple construction is not protected. And that bothered Nehemiah. And he started praying and fasting. Some of you don't know what fasting does. The body's like an incinerator. It's always digesting food, sending blood here and there. When you fast over three days, the manufacturing plant shuts down. Now you're very sensitive to the spiritual world. That's why in the Bible it usually combines fasting and prayer because you're sensitive to the spiritual world, period. Demonic and heavenly. So he's fasting and praying. It's taking a lot out of him. I mean, he's really seeking God. And in chapter 2, he comes into King Artaxerxes' presence, and he was close to the king. And the king goes, what's bugging you, dude? You're always happy-go-lucky. Something's bothering you. What's up? With that in mind, chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid, because he knew the king noticed. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city... The place in my father's tombs lies desolate, and its gates have been consumed by fire. Then the king said to me, so what would you request of me? So I prayed right there on the spot to the God of heaven. And then I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor, if your servant has found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild what? The city. Not the house. The city. Now, King Artaxerxes goes ahead and gives a decree to go build the city, not the temple. Back to the book of Daniel, 9.25. So you're to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild the city, not the house, to restore and build the city, between that time and Messiah the Prince will be 69 weeks. Okay. Now, 
If I did the math precisely and got very delicate with it, you would have to include leap years, centennial years. I laid it all out on a chart and was going to put it up, but it would totally confuse you. You just go, you know, it's, it's crazy. You got to take it three days here, three here, add, it's crazy. I'm going to paraphrase the numbers. I'm going to make it real simple. Let's paraphrase. It's not all the details. Some people say that Artaxerxes made this decree in 444 B.C., but most of them say 445 B.C. I don't know if it makes that much of a difference. Encyclopedia Britannica says that Artaxerxes came to power in 465 B.C. Put the slide up. This is Encyclopedia Britannica. See at the very bottom, he reigned between 465. So he, he began his reign at 465. Now with that in mind, read Nehemiah 2 and 1. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of his reign, King Artaxerxes, 20, so take 20 from 465, you come to what? 445 B.C. After the 20 years, this is when this comes down right here. Now, Amir Sephardi, he says, you have to understand this. The Old Testament Jews never saw the church age. They saw this act like it's two mountains. The 69 weeks is one mountain. The 70th week's another one. The Jews never saw the church age. It was a mystery to them. A mystery. They thought that Mountain 69 and Mountain 70 were right together. But when you get up to Mount 69 and climb over it and come down it, you'll see that Mountain 70 is 2,000 years away. It's way across a valley called the Church Age. Now, we know that the 70th week is a seven-year tribulation. And we know that hasn't happened yet. We know those things have not historically happened. Now, I want you to see the pic here. Here's a paraphrased version of what we're looking at. 69 weeks is determined between the issuing of the decree and coming of Messiah. 69 times 7 equals 483 years. 483 years times 360 days, according to the Jewish calendar, which I could prove to you they used, but if I had time today, by giving you 12 passages of Scripture. So 483 years times 360 days equals 173,880 days. You take 173,880 days, divide it by 365 days, the Gregorian calendar, it equals 476 years. Take 476 years from 445 B.C. when the issue was given, you come up exactly with 31 A.D. That, my friend, is amazing. Amazing. Because that's when Jesus reigned. Now, some theologians and scientifically minded people have come up with the exact date, and they say it points exactly to Jesus' triumphal entry in Luke 19. Let's take a look there, Luke 19. As Jesus was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully and with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had only known, 
if you had only known, if you had only studied Scripture, if you had only counted the days. He was weeping. You're not students. The things that make for peace, but they've been hidden from your eyes. Jesus' heartbroken. He goes, it was there. More than likely, the wise men we study in the Christmas, they, they, they knew it. They were looking for it. But he says, man, you're so careless with the word. Now, here's the point I want you to see. If we can trust God with those dates to the T, you can trust him with the other dates. If he said, which I think he did, that when you see Israel become a nation in 1948, that generation will not pass. All, all of the generation will not pass until everything's fulfilled. If you can take that other passage I shared with you today to the bank, then you can take the other to the bank too. He's coming back. The prophetic event we're looking for right now, and if you look at the feasts, we're living the feasts of trumpets. Ta-ta-ta-ta! What did our verses say? At any time, he's going to come forth with a voice of the archangel and a trumpet. Now, when we look at the feasts, the trumpets can very often mean breaking of camp. Let's move on. Ta-da-ta-da! We're there. We're waiting. Maybe you need to ask yourself these questions as I close right now. Uh, number one. If this wasn't the last generation, then why a few years ago did Russia come out of the north down in the Middle East? Why? Why did Russia move right next door to Israel, which Scripture says Russia's going to attack Israel? They're right there. They're ready. They don't even know why they're there. Why did Iran just happen to come over and join confederation with Russia if it's not the last days? Why did Turkey, just the last two or three years, start having meetings with Russia? They're getting in. You know why? Because all three of those nations are named in detail as three nations that's going to attack Israel. Why? Why would Israel be building a gas pipeline right now? And why would they all of a sudden discover natural gas that they're sending to Egypt right now? They want to. Then they want to, in a year or two, take it all the way into Europe. Why would that be happening right now? It's going to make Russia mad, and it's going to promote war. It'll be part of the war anyway, the reason for war. Why? Why all of a sudden, in these days we live in, they developed a microchip that will go into the hand? Why? When we study the mark of the beast, we'll see. Why all of a sudden in this day is freedom of speech all of a sudden being attacked? I believe a lot of this is a smokescreen. They don't want the church's voice out there. That's one of the main reasons why our freedom of speech is being attacked, I believe. Plagues. Why all of a sudden do we have plagues? Have you heard the fluorone is out now? Yeah, look it up. Fluorona. I'm serious. Flu and corona together. And then somebody just sent me the other day, and I fact-checked it. Our government spent millions of dollars to find out why the deer have COVID now. I know why the deer have COVID. They're not wearing their masks. <laughs> I have deer in my yard every day, and not one of them have had a mask on yet. Irresponsible deer. How they catch coronavirus? Someone went up and kissed a deer? 
They say you can't catch it from touching things. Somebody had to get up four foot in their face. Who in their right mind would do that? Yesterday I had a deer standing 15 yards from my kitchen. I'm sitting here watching him, and Debbie says, take the trash out. I said, no way. That deer's going to give me COVID. <laughs> this is crazy. Absolutely nuts. To be continued. I got some heavy-duty things next week. Heavy-duty. We're going home. Why would God all of a sudden have pastors all over the world preaching, get ready, get ready? John the Baptist was the forerunner to Messiah. And I said before, I think many of us pastors, we have the spirit of Elijah. We're forerunners. Because see, John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah, and he was a forerunner to Christ. I believe we're preparing people. Messiah's coming back. It's going to be the biggest news event you've ever seen. People missing all over the world. Could be this year. It could be next month. It could be eight years, nine years. I'm honest. I don't know, but I know we're in the season. You want to continue next week? I got a lot more to say. A lot more to say. I want to get into the rapture next week. Father God, thank you for today. It's time to get right with God. Time to get right with God. Repent, repent, repent. Repent of your sins. Turn around. Wake up. Today, if you're here and listening to me, you've never been born again. Today, sometime. Come up here. We've got prayer people up here. And just say, if you need help in getting born again, they'll help you. If not, just go home today and say, Holy Spirit, come and live in my body. In fact, if you want to pray this prayer, pray with me right now. Very simple prayer. Say, Lord God, everybody, Lord God, send the Holy Spirit. Come into my body. Live in my body. And give me the power I need to obey Jesus. Take over my life. And begin to live in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, pastors, take it, Tom. Other pastors, take it, and you close your service. Pastors, it's yours. Take it. So come back next week. I'm going to give you another mind-boggling Old Testament prophecy. Then we're going to get into the rapture. Seven reasons why the rapture is coming and, and the teaching of the rapture. All of that. Love you. Be careful out there. And you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. I'm exactly 12 minutes over. Exactly. Is that okay? God bless. Be safe. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org.